Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. Uh, we sing that song today, that he who the sun sets free is free indeed. And I want you to know this morning there is freedom because there's freedom in Jesus Christ. Today, of course, we have gathered here today in this drive-in worship service. And I am so thankful that you are here and you've ventured out and you've come here early and you've found a parking space and you've gotten comfortable. I'm thankful for you that are joining us online and joining us on the radio. Thank you for being here to hear and to celebrate really this message of freedom. I'm reminded throughout the course of this season that I would have never dreamed in a million years that we would be looking at drive-in worship services. Before we began today, one of the guys on our video camera said, Pastor Matthew, when the Lord brought me to Crosslink, I never would have dreamed that this is how we'd be worshiping today, but this is where we are. And we are thankful for the opportunity in the midst of this pandemic throughout the globe to be able to come together and celebrate together with you here today. Who would ever thought that a drive-in worship service would become a thing in our country? But it has in recent weeks. Uh, many, in fact, have turned to this as a safer means of meeting and gathering a large group together for the purpose of worship. And in doing so, they've even created ways that we can respond from the safety of our vehicle. Some of them are quite humorous. For example, they encourage you that if you're singing along during the time of music to turn on your headlights. Uh, we've been encouraged to note if we are raising our hands in worship to turn on our left blinker. We've been encouraged that if we are in need of prayer to start flashing our caution lights, our hazard lights, to let somebody know we need to be prayed for. We've been encouraged that if you want to say amen or hallelujah, what do you do? You honk. That's exactly what you do. But there are some other responses. If you're ready to turn to Jesus and give your life to him, you turn your right blinker on to let us know what you're deciding. But one of my personal ones that I don't like so much is this. If the preacher gets a little long-winded, here's what you do. You start revving up your engine and letting him know it's time to go, all right? But finally, my favorite of all is this. If you make the decision to be baptized, here's what you need to do. You need to spray your windshield washer with fluid and turn on your wipers like crazy, okay? Well, of course, that's a bit lighthearted and humorous, but these are the days in which we live as we've gathered together at a drive-in worship service. This weekend is Memorial Day weekend. Tomorrow we will observe Memorial Day. Throughout the context of the history of Memorial Day, for many years, this day was called Decoration Day. It was a day set aside specifically throughout our nation where people would go to the graves of young men and women who gave their life for our freedom, and there they would decorate the grave. It was a sign of honor, a sign of memorial, a sign of remembrance and recognition for the life that they gave for our freedom. It's appropriate that we celebrate this precious gift of freedom. It's appropriate that we do that in our lives and that we do that here in America. The fact of the matter is this morning is that freedom is never free. It comes at great cost. It comes at great sacrifice. We, of course, here in America have been greatly blessed to know that so many have given their lives for their freedom. And today, even though we've been in a time of restrictions throughout our country, today we've gathered together on this field with much freedom because of the lives that have been laid down for our freedom. But we're reminded today, unlike any other, 
that freedom is not always guaranteed. Freedom is not automatic. In recent days, we've likely come to realize this as we've been going through this season of pandemic and we have been living our life with, frankly, much restrictions and limitations. We haven't been able to enjoy the freedoms that we have so come accustomed to enjoy. To enjoy. Our freedoms have been limited. We can't come and go as we want. We haven't been able to do the things that we desired. And we've been dealing with orders and instructions that have been challenging and maybe frustrating, maybe anxiety building, and some of us maybe even terrifying. But I'm reminded this morning in the midst of it all that God is greater than the pandemic in which we have faced. Yes, this is not what many of us envisioned. Over the past few weeks, I've been blessed to talk with several people in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, and many of them have said something like this, I never thought I would see something like this. I've lived in America my whole life. I never imagined we'd be living in a day like today. Yes, these have been uncertain, and these have been trying times that have challenged us. But I want you to know this morning, there is still freedom. I haven't come today to talk about a virus that's sweeping across the globe. I have not come today to talk about the virus that's taking the news and the headlines or to talk about the political bent of the hour. But I have come to talk to you today about a true freedom, a freedom for your soul, a freedom from sin, and a true freedom that nothing in this world can take away. The truth is that it doesn't matter what nation you were born into. It doesn't matter what political party is in charge. It doesn't matter what stay-at-home orders are in place or what health crisis is sweeping across the globe at the moment. There is freedom available to all mankind. It doesn't matter your race, your background, your political perspective, or your family of origin. There is freedom that is offered to all mankind and absolutely cannot be taken away. This freedom cannot be thwarted by man's agenda. This freedom cannot be robbed by the government or crippled by disease. Today, I'm talking to you about the freedom that we have as a gift from God through his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in John chapter eight, a powerful passage of scripture about what true freedom really is. Being blessed here in America, we have come to be accustomed of what our envisionment of freedom really is. But God tells us in John chapter 8 what true freedom is really all about. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus Christ. And I want to preach to you this morning on the subject, freedom for all. Freedom for all. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the freedom that we have right now to read it. Now, right now, may we not only read it, but may we accept it in our hearts and lives. May we understand it, and may we respond to it by faith today. We'll give you the glory and honor and praise for it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Freedom for all. 
I want to begin this morning by asking every single one of you, whether you're live here, whether you're watching online or listening on the radio, here is a simple question. Are you free? Are you truly free? Of course, many of us would say today, well, pastor, I live here in America. Of course I'm free. I've been free my whole life. I was born here, raised here, and this is what I know. Yes, we are free. Praise God. But I want you to know this morning, the answer to that might require a little bit more examination than you might imagine. Jesus here in John chapter eight was talking to a group of people who felt the same way. Hey, we've always been free, but Jesus began to speak to them about what true freedom really was and what true enslavement really was. And in this process, Jesus brings them to a point of examination and consideration. And I call it to you today, will you examine, are you truly free? Jesus said in John chapter eight, verse 24, as he was making many claims and clarifications about who he was, he made this statement. He said, unless you believe that I am he, I am the savior, you will all die in your sins. The Bible tells us in John chapter eight in the prior verses that many listened to the word of Christ. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah and they made a profession of faith. But the fact of the matter is Jesus knew something about these people. There were many who professed to believe in Jesus, but they didn't really believe in Jesus. In other words, they gave Jesus lip service, so to speak. They said, oh, yes, we believe in you, but in their actions, they denied Christ. The fact of the matter is this morning, there are still many who profess to believe in Jesus, but the truth of that is seen not in our loud profession, but in our faithful practice. In other words, whether Jesus is truly your Lord and Savior is best demonstrated not by what you say, but ultimately in what you do and in how you live. And so Jesus calls them and he calls us today to examine, are we truly free? What is this true freedom? How can we have it? And what does this mean in our lives today? I want you to see this morning, three simple observations about this freedom that is for all. The first thing I want you to see this morning is what I'm calling the prevention of freedom. The prevention of freedom. Now, most of the time when we use the word prevention, we are thinking of preventing something that is negative and harmful. No doubt throughout this culture right now, we all are becoming accustomed to words of prevention. We are being told that we've got to wash our hands a million times a day. We're being told that we've got to practice social distancing of six feet or more. We're being told that we've got to make sure that we're wearing face masks and things in public. And all of these restrictions are all for the purpose of preventing the spread of this virus. But the fact of the matter is, is that there are many things in life that we can also do that prevent positive things. For example, many years ago when I was in high school, many, many years ago when I was in high school, I worked at a local Chick-fil-A restaurant where I grew up in Alabama. And I remember a young man who came to work on a regular basis. He was a hard worker. He had a good attitude, but he had one major problem. He was late for everything. I promise I think he was late for his wedding and will be one day for his funeral. He was late all the time. And I remember numerous times working there that there were opportunities for a position of promotion and opportunities for management to occur. And every single time he was overlooked and every single time he didn't receive that opportunity. Why? Because his attitude and his actions towards being prompt and being on time and going the extra mile in that setting was always lacking. His actions prevented him from the promotion. All of us have seen throughout the context of the sports world, some great college athlete with a great name and championship pedigree and a a blue chip recruit sitting the bench during one of the prize games. Why? Because he made bad grades and his actions prevented him from something that was good. The fact is, is that our actions oftentimes 
can prevent us from the very thing we need and desire the most. Jesus here in John chapter eight begins to say to you, say to these Jews, hey guys, I want you to know something. Your actions and your attitude, your mindset is preventing you from true freedom. Jesus came to offer them freedom for their soul, freedom from sin that they could be set free, that they could know God the Father in a relationship with him. Jesus came to offer peace for their soul and a living hope and a joy that was abundant flowing from their life. And yet their very actions and attitude caused them to miss it. In fact, I believe we see in these verses three major things that caused them to be hindered. Three things that hindered them from experiencing the freedom that Christ was offering. The first is this. They were hindered by their religious patriarchs. They were hindered by their religious patriarchs. Now that might sound strange to some of us, doesn't it? We know what a patriarch is. It's, an, it's a, a, someone that's gone before us. It's a, 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 an older gentleman or, or a matriarch would be an older lady. It's someone who's gone before us and being in the context of a religious patriarch, there's someone who loved God, someone who lived for God and someone that we've learned from their example. The Bible says that Jesus looked at them and says, I've come that you may know the truth and that the truth may make you free. I'm telling you guys, you can experience freedom for your soul and freedom from sin and listen to how they responded. The Bible says in verse 33, but we are Abraham's. We are Abraham's. In other words, this morning, they denied their need for freedom because they were finding their security and their comfort in their religious patriarch, the man by the name of Abraham. No doubt Abraham was a godly patriarch. He didn't start out that way. He started out just like you and I. He was a sinner who was in need of God's grace and God's mercy. In fact, the Bible tells us that Abraham grew up being raised as a, as a pagan idolater. But God called him and God spoke to him. And the Bible says that Abraham left his old way of life behind and he walked forward to walk by faith. He walked forward in a relationship with God. He walked forward living for a land that he had not yet found. He walked forward believing the promises of God. Yes, he was a godly patriarch. Abraham did not have a great example to follow. He didn't have someone that had gone before him to show him the way. And yet daily, he walked by faith and he looked to God and he trusted God. Of course, the Bible tells us these Jews in John chapter eight, Jesus said, I want you to know I offer you freedom. And they said, hey, we don't need freedom. We are with father Abraham. No doubt Abraham was a godly patriarch. But I want to remind you this morning, no matter how godly your patriarch might have been, no matter how godly your, your matriarch might have been, please understand this morning, the Bible says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Yes, Abraham was a godly patriarch, but make no mistake about it, he too was imperfect. He too had sinned against God. He too needed God's grace and forgiveness, just like all of us here today. The fact of the matter is the Bible tells us that God told Abraham, Abraham, I will make you a father of many nations. I'm gonna be with you and through your seed, I'm gonna bless all the nations of the world. But the Bible tells us specifically of Abraham that as the time grew dim, he began to lose hope. And as the time grew dim, he began to think of ways to sidestep God's plan and short circuit God's plan. And instead of trusting God and walking in obedience, he took matters into his own hands. He and Sarah devised a plan. He went along with it where he slept with Sarah's handmaid and she, of course, conceived and gave a child. But that was not a part of God's promise. That was not a part of God's plan. That was a sin against God. What I'm saying to you this morning is, yes, Abraham was a godly patriarch, but Abraham was a man nonetheless. And he too needed God's grace, God's mercy, and his forgiveness. Jesus said, I've come to offer you freedom. But they said, 
We don't need it. We are with Abraham. It's amazing today that even still in 2020, that many of us depend upon the religious works of those that have gone on before us. We think that we are in good standing with God because of the relationships of others around us that have gone before us. It's amazing in 2020 how often we can ask the question, have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you accepted Christ and turned to him? If so, when did you believe in Jesus? When did you confess him as Lord? It's amazing in 2020 to find the number of people that still say, well, I grew up going to church. Well, I've always been in a religious setting. Well, my grandmother was a saint. She prayed all the times. Well, my grandfather was a preacher. Please understand this morning. I thank God for your religious heritage if God has granted you that. But please understand this morning, there is nothing your godly grandmother or grandfather could do to save your soul and to set you free from your sin. The very best thing they could do is point you to Jesus, the only one who can save your soul and set you free from your sin. I have been so greatly blessed in my life to have a great heritage. In my family, in the Kirkland side of the family, for example, by God's grace and by his choosing, I'm the fifth Kirkland generation of someone that God's called to preach his word. My mom's side of the family, I've been so blessed between my cousins and my uncles and people that have gone before us. There are nine of us in full-time ministry serving the Lord today. But please understand, while I am grateful for that heritage and I am grateful for that example, I'm grateful for that instruction, that could not save me. The very best that heritage could do would be to point me to Jesus Christ because Jesus alone can save if you're depending upon the efforts of others, if you're depending upon the faith of your forefathers, please understand it is not enough because we stand guilty of sin before God. Not only were they hindered by their religious patriarchs, but many are also hindered by their religious practices. Jesus said, hey, I've come to offer you freedom, freedom for your soul, freedom from sin. And what did they say? The Bible says they responded in John chapter eight. They didn't just say we are Abraham's, they said, we are Abraham's descendants. We're with Father Abraham. Not only did they refer to his name in this conduct, they're referring to the religion that followed Abraham. They're referring to his outward practices, if you will. We, of course, know throughout the Old Testament that God worked to move through Abraham's life, and then he, he worked to move later through Moses' life. God spoke and he gave laws. By the time Jesus spoke in John chapter 8, the people of that day had created all kinds of laws. In fact, they had created such a culture and a system, listen to this, they literally had 613 laws to live by. 613 laws. There were, there were negative commands, don't do this, and there were affirmative commands, do this. They were so focused on their religion in John chapter eight and their good works. They said, hey, listen, we got all these laws. We got this religious system. We're doing the best we can. We're abiding by it all. We are good. In other words, Jesus, we don't need the freedom that you offer. We don't need your help. We don't need these things because we are religious. We do a lot of good and our good is good enough. In other words, they thought they must be right with God because they were doing so many good things. But I want to remind you this morning, just because we do a lot of good things doesn't mean that we're right with God. Just because we're right with our neighbor doesn't mean that we're right with God. Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. Of course, the people that Jesus was speaking to in this moment 
were boasting in all the good things they did. Oh, Jesus, we're religious. Look at all the things we're doing for our people. Look at the way we're keeping the law. Look at the way we're following Abraham's example. But they failed to realize that no matter how good their works were and no matter how many they did, it was not enough to deserve and to earn God's favor and God's blessing. In fact, even in looking at Abraham as their example, they were condemning their self. They looked only at Abraham's actions without realizing the motive behind those actions. They looked only at his religious practices instead of looking at the matter of the heart. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter four, verses two through three, for if Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him. It was counted to him as righteousness. Please understand what the Bible's telling us is this. Not even Father Abraham could be saved by his good works or by his merit. No, he was only saved by believing in God and turning to him and trusting to him. And out of that faith came these works and these actions. What I want you to see this morning in John chapter 8 is what Jesus was saying to the Jews that day. Guys, freedom comes not by your religious practice, but it comes only by faith in Jesus. The third hindrance we see in John chapter 8 is this. Yes, many are hindered by their religious patriarchs. Many are hindered by their religious practices, putting their confidence in them instead of in Christ. But many are also hindered by their redefined past, by their redefined past. It's amazing to me how quickly we can try to redefine our past and our present situations in order to justify where we are. We live in a day-to-day -day where it seems like every time we turn on the news and we begin to hear different slants and different angles, we see things being redefined and reinterpreted. We're being told things about our history as a nation today that are frankly not true. Here in this pastor scripture in John chapter eight, the Bible tells us that Jesus looks at them and says, you can be free and listen to what they said. Listen to the ridiculousness of their statement. They said, we're Abraham's descendants and we have never yet been enslaved to anyone. In other words, please listen to what they're saying. They're saying, Jesus, we don't need freedom because we've never been enslaved. Now that sounds good. That sounds simple. It sounds like an easy enough statement, but there's one problem with it. It's a complete and total lie. In fact, if you were to go back through the Old Testament and begin to study all that was going on, we quickly begin to realize what's happening in this moment is this. They are denying reality so that they can do what they want to do. In other words, they did not want to admit that they were a needy people. In their pride and in their arrogance, they didn't want to admit that they needed Jesus, that they needed a savior. They didn't want to admit that they themselves could not save themselves. In other words, they came into this moment where frankly, they began to quickly realize in this moment, hey, listen, we can say these things and we can try to convince ourselves of these things. But the bottom line is they said, we are not enslaved to anyone. Now think about this for just a moment. The Bible tells us their entire history was filled with that of slavery. Their whole history was a long story of bondage. They had been slaves in Egypt when Moses came and set them free. When you go throughout the judges, we quickly find that they were in bondage set to seven different nations. We read about the Northern tribe and as they were transferred uh, in exile to Babylon for 70 years. Throughout the course of the Old Testament alone, they were in bondage under the Greek, Syrian, and Egyptian peoples. And by the time Jesus writes and speaks, or the time Jesus speaks in John 8, they're now under the oppression of the Roman Empire. 
In other words, their entire history was one of slavery. And yet, what did they say? Hey, we've never been enslaved. Why did they do that? I believe they were redefining their past because in doing so, they could justify their actions and not have to confess their need. In doing so, they could keep doing what they were doing. They could keep rejecting Jesus. They could keep saying, hey, I'm good enough. But in doing so, they were avoiding the simple reality. The fact of the day is that many people do the same today. We say and do anything to convince ourselves that we're fine. Hey, we don't necessarily need Jesus. We, we do enough good that in the end, hopefully it will outweigh itself. Many of us convince ourselves, frankly, that we are doing good enough in life by ourselves. We don't need God. I'm a pretty good person. That should be good enough. But all of it's a lie from the enemy who's constantly seeking to bring us to a place where we justify our sin, we redefine our present reality so that ultimately we deny our need for God. Perhaps the worst bondage of all is the kind that the prisoner himself doesn't recognize. He thinks he's free, and yet in reality, he is a slave. Jesus speaks to these men, and when he speaks, he says, listen, I want you to know, the religion of Abraham isn't enough to save you. Your religious practices, all your good works, aren't enough to save you. But I also want you to know this, please understand loud and clear, even the way you deny reality and say you've not been a slave, it's not enough to save you and justify your actions. Second thing I want you to see this morning is this. There's the prevention of freedom, but secondly, loud and clear, I want you to consider the price of freedom. The price of freedom. Jesus looks at them and the Bible says, so he said to them again, truly, truly, listen to the statement of John chapter eight. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. This group did a lot of things wrong. A lot of things wrong. But here they did one thing right. They asked Jesus the right question. Jesus, how can we become free? You say that we have been enslaved, that we need to be free. Well, how can you say that we need to be free? I believe in this, Jesus begins to answer for us where we, try, where we find true freedom and how we find true freedom. That is found ultimately in Jesus Christ. Listen to this statement. They looked at Jesus and said, what do you mean that we will become free? And Jesus looks at them and says, listen, I want you to know, you can't save yourselves. You can't do enough good to outweigh the bad. You can't just do a good work and hope to earn God's favor in the end. I want you to know something. Jesus is telling us that every single one of us, whether we've realized it or not, whether we've grown up in this great nation of America, whether we've experienced national freedom or not, here's what he says. He says, I want you to know something today. That is that everyone who commits sin is the slave of of sin. Romans 3.23 says it this way, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It literally means that God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. God is true. He's never sinned. He's never done anything wrong. And we literally all miss the mark. Let me illustrate that for just a moment. Last year around August, I had the privilege to drive to Southwest Virginia where I was meeting up with a friend there who has been a friend for many, many years. He and I like to go skeet shooting. If you know what that is, it means you're going out to a range and you're, you're shooting sporting clays. And we've done this several times. I've got a few witnesses here of it. Amen. All right. And sure enough, we went out skeet shooting. He told me, he said, now listen, I have found a great new course. It's challenging. It's one of the hardest I've been to. We're going to go and have a good time. And his son, who is 15 years old, came along with us. 
I brought my gun and I cleaned my gun and I got my ammo and, and I was ready to go and I had my mind focused and we got up to that range and sure enough, it was a beautiful view and we began to see the, the skeet that would be released and we would aim, of course, and fire. And, and, I, and I'm telling you, I was focused. I gave everything I had that day to make sure I was getting each one. I would shoot and I'd miss it. And the expert beside me would say, hey, you're just under it. You're just under it. And so sure enough, I'd try to raise my aim a little bit more. Another one would come and I'd shoot and I'd miss. And he'd say, you're just under it. I'm telling you time after time after time after time, I missed every single one of those skeet that day. It was a humbling experience. But the most humbling thing was to look over and see this 15-year-old little punk beside me hitting every other one, all right? He was nailing those things. Finally, I looked at the professional that was there helping us that day, and I asked him, have you ever shot these? And he said, yes. I said, how good are you? He said, I'm really good. And I said, well, have you ever hit every single one? He said, nope. He said, I've been practicing for over a year, and I've never gotten every single one. He said, Pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that's a great illustration of how we all have missed God's mark. It didn't matter whether I missed the mark every single time or my buddy Logan, who was 15 years old, hit every other one or the professional beside me said, I keep trying and I keep trying and I keep trying, but I've never gotten a perfect score. You know what we were all saying? We've all missed the mark. It doesn't matter today whether you consider yourself the biggest sinner in the world or you've only committed one sin ever in your life. The reality is all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all in need of God's grace. We're all in need of God's forgiveness. And just one sin, the Bible tells us, it makes us in need of a Savior. The price for freedom is a reminder in this moment that Jesus says, listen to this statement, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. Everyone who commits sin, it means that sin becomes your master. Literally, you are in bondage to it. You are indebted to it. It becomes like a chain that binds you. It becomes like that ball that you're dragging around. You can't be set free from it. You're going to experience the consequences of it in eternity apart from Christ. Ultimately, you'll experience the penalty of it. That is who we are without Jesus Christ. God is looking at us and he is reminding us that we are slaves of sin without the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to this statement. Even though, even though we are slaves in sin without Christ, the Bible tells us something interesting in verse 35. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. In that Roman empire at that day, there were millions of slaves throughout the empire. And everybody understood what Jesus was saying in this moment because a slave had no right. They had no uh, authority. They had no will of their own. At any given moment, a slave could be sold to another master where they would experience oftentimes very difficult realities and harshness and treatment and what, you, what a hopeless situation that was. But there is a way that a slave could be freed. There is a way that a slave could be let go there is a way that a slave could be removed from that hopeless situation. Literally, another master could come and could pay the price of their freedom and could release them. The, the Bible gives us this word, the word redeem or the word redemption. It literally means to buy back or to buy out. The main fault was it was one who was paying a great price for the deliverance of another. How could anyone give deliverance and give freedom to a slave of sin? 
Who could possibly give deliverance and freedom from someone who was in bondage to their sin? If all mankind has sinned against God, then how could anyone rescue us? Clearly, someone would have to be perfect and sinless. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. Who in the world could be perfect and yet would be willing to come and die to give his life as a payment for our sins? Certainly, it seems like quite a long shot. Who would possibly be willing to do that? The Bible tells us that there is only one who lived a perfect, sinless life. That one who lived the perfect, sinless life came for the express purpose of giving his life, the Bible says, as a ransom for many. And that one is Jesus Christ. Jesus came and he paid the price so that you and I could be freed from sin. That even though we have sinned against God, the Bible does that Jesus took upon our sin there on that cross. Listen to these words of the Bible from Ephesians 1 verse 7. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The price has been paid. We've been set free. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of his grace. I love the way Colossians chapter 2 says it. Listen to what the Bible says. When you, that's you and me, all of us who have sinned against God and have believed in Jesus as Lord and Savior, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him. Listen to this. Having forgiven all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Listen to that statement. When Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, he was canceling out the debt of all who would believe in him. Please listen to this statement. In that culture in that day, when someone was guilty of a crime, they were given a certificate of debt. And on that certificate of debt, they would list the crime that someone was guilty of and the time that they must serve. If you were to go into a prison in that day, literally above the door of your prison would be your certificate of debt that would list the crime you'd committed and the time that you had to serve. Once your time was served, that certificate would be taken off the door. It would be taken to the judge and the judge would mark through it in these words simply saying, paid in full. And the criminal, of course, having served the time, would fold that document up. He would keep it with him at all times. And if he was ever falsely accused in the future or ever brought that up before him, he would show that his debt had been paid in full. But of course, there were times of a certificate of debt was far more than just a common petty crime. There were times where a certificate of debt was ascribed to someone who committed a capital offense worthy of death. That Roman culture, literally what they would do with individuals that had committed crimes worthy of death, they would take them and they would crucify them. They would put them up on the cross and above their head, they would put that certificate of death with the listing of their crimes. The Roman government did that at that time to bring fear and terror into everyone who would walk by. When people would walk by and see those bodies on the cross, that symbol of suffering and shame, they would look above the head and they would see the crimes they had committed. It would create in that culture a fear to say, hey, I don't ever want to do that. Please understand this morning what the Bible's telling us in this moment when it says that Jesus, when he died on the cross, that he canceled that certificate of debt. What the Bible is saying is this, please understand, Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. He never sinned and he never did anything wrong. And yet he was crucified. Yet he died the death of a criminal. He was innocent and yet he died the death of one who was guilty. Why? 
because he was dying as a substitute in our place. He was dying and paying the price for your sins and for mine. It was you and I that had sinned against God. It was you and I who had lust in our hearts. It was you and I who had envy in our hearts. It was you and I who were greedy in our hearts. It was you and I who gossiped and complained. It was you and I who had anger and hatred and bitterness in our heart. It was you and I who sinned against God in so many different ways. Our certificate of debt was loud and clear. In fact, if I, my debt was listed on a certificate, he would probably have every sin known to man. And yet the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, he literally, he took our sin debt. And here's what he did. He canceled it out. He marked it out. And he said, that sin and that sin and that sin and his sins and her sins, they've been paid in full. What the Bible's telling us this morning is that Jesus alone paid the price of our freedom. Charles Spurgeon said it well. Listen closely. The Bible, uh, Charles Spurgeon said it this way. All of our transgressions are swept away at once, carried off as by a flood, so completely removed that there is no guilty trace of them which remains. They are all gone. They are all gained. gone. Listen to this. When the Lord forgave us, here's what Spurgeon said. He forgave us the whole debt. He did not take the bill and say, I strike out this item and that, but the pen went through it all, paid. It was a receipt in full of all the demands. Jesus took the handwriting that was against us and nailed it to his cross to show before the entire universe that its power to condemn us had ceased forever. Third thing I want you to see is this. It is the promise of freedom. Listen to what Jesus said, and I'm gonna close. It's a simple statement, but it's a promise. Here's what he said. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The only way we can be freed from our sin, the only way we can find freedom from our soul, it's not in religious practices. It's not in what your grandmother or grandfather did. It's not found by putting our fingers in our ears and ignoring reality and dismissing our need for Jesus. No, the only way we find freedom is to turn to Jesus by faith. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But three days later, he rose again from the grave. The son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I love that word indeed. It means with absolute certainty. There's a lot of things in our day to day that we don't know with absolute certainty. Turn on news reports, one day we're hearing this, the next day we're hearing that. One day we're hearing you gotta clean your groceries before you take them home and eat them. And then we're being told the next day, no, this thing doesn't transfer by surface. There's all kinds of reports here and there. It's hard to know who to believe. Here's what Jesus says. There's one thing I want you to know with absolute certainty. You can know it as sure as you are living right now. You can know it, here it is. He who Jesus makes free is absolutely free indeed. My question for you this morning is simply this. Are you free in Jesus Christ? Have you believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? Has he set you free? We find freedom in Jesus or we don't find freedom at all. We're saved only through him or we aren't saved at all. Let me close with this final word from Acts chapter 13. I believe Jesus Christ wants to set us free today. Listen to the promise that the Apostle Paul spoke in Acts chapter 13. Here's what he said. Let it be known to you today, brethren, that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Listen to this. And through him, everyone who believes is freed 
from all things. Are you free? There's freedom available in Christ. I want to ask you right now in your vehicles, in your home, wherever you're watching from, will you bow your heads with me right now? Are you free in Jesus? This morning, if you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So right there where you're sitting, if you need to be freed from your sin, right there, would you pray right now and say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that I'm in need of grace and I need deliverance. I need to be set free. God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the grave. Right now, God, I ask you to forgive me and save me and cleanse me, set me free, change me today and make me the person that you want me to be. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.